This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Well, you clearly like ghost stories. Check out the new podcast, We Need to Talk About Ghosts, with me, Kevin Eustace. Search We Need to Talk About Ghosts wherever you download your podcasts. Hey guys, welcome to episode 132 of Hippoly Horror Stories. This is going to be an exciting night. Well, really? Don't act mm, surprised. Mm. Oh, yay. <laughs> I'm excited. This is the night, obviously, of the big reveal of True. Hillbilly Horror House, the uh, new audio drama that's going to be part of the show, at least for a while. And we'll see how it goes. And if it takes off like we think that it will, it'll become its own separate podcast somewhere down the road before season two starts. That's amazing. But we got season one all to ourselves. Yeah. So we're going to play not one but two episodes tonight to kind of jumpstart this and kind of get you into it. So if you're unfamiliar with an audio drama, it's more of a scripted story. It's like, uh, as Tim likes to call it, uh, television for your ears. Yeah, that describes it pretty good, I think. Yeah, it's like the old, it's like the old-time radio shows mm-hmm. that people used to listen to before they had fun stuff like cable. Yeah, seriously. So we got that happening tonight, and uh, I thought we would put one of our most requested stories that we still hadn't gotten to on this one, so if we're going to have a big show, let's just be big all the way around. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. What? <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to obviously, here's how the, the night show will be a little bit different. We we have been doing the two two stories. This one's a longer story, so we're going to do the one story, and then we'll give all the Patreons and stuff like that, and then we'll do the two episodes of Hillbilly Horror uh, House just to end the show, so it'll kind of just... In uh, that way, so there, that way, it, we're still getting almost like two stories, but instead of it being two stories, it's one story in an audio, audio drama. I can't talk to save my life. I know that was a whole lot of stuff you just said. Either way, yabadabadoo. So, first of all, we always want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you for all that you do. Amen. Thank you, guys. Love and pray for you every day. And we also wanted to um, mention once again, we've had a lot of people in the group uh, mention a lot of hardships going on right now. Yeah. Um, we've had a couple people mention in the past week or so about some suicides in their family or friends. Yeah, very sad. And it's been a very open week in the in the group. There's There's been a lot of people talk about uh, like discrepancies and stuff in their life where they've talked about um one, one young lady talked about her daughter that was self-harming and she wanted to talk about it and had a lot of people give advice and mm-hmm. stuff like that so guys that's what the group's for yes it's a paranormal show technically it's a paranormal group but i would say things talked about in that group are probably 10 percent paranormal and 90 percent 
support group stuff. Yeah, I agree. And that's the way we would want it. I mean, we can get paranormal on the show. We can get paranormal on our Facebook group. I mean, our uh, Facebook page, or you can get paranormal anywhere. Let's do some good with this thing. And that's the whole reason we do this. So if you need help and uh, you can use that group or you can dial the uh, 1-800 number for the suicide hotline. If you feel like that things are that bad to where you want to take that next step to not be here anymore, call this number 1-800-273-8255. If you're more of a texter, 741-741. But please talk to someone before you make that decision because I'll be willing to bet most people can talk you out of that decision once you realize everything that you do have to live for. Yes. Amen. Okay. Uh, With that being said, the story we're going to talk about tonight will have some of that, um, as a lot of these stories tend to do. Okay. So our story this week takes place in Los Angeles, California. I don't know that we've done a story from L.A. Um... I don't think we have either. How weird is that? Yep. I don't know. Let's do it. So when most people think of L.A., they obviously think about movie stars and luxury and all that stuff. And that was no different uh, back in the late 1920s. So you had a guy named William Banks, Hanner, who wanted to open up a really nice hotel. That's what he did. He was a hotelier. I guess that's the... Hotelier? I I think that's the the actual term, hotelier. But he wanted to build a top-of-the-line hotel at 640 South Main Street in L.A. So he started building in 1924, and after three years and over a million dollars spent, the Cecil Hotel opened its doors. It was gorgeous. It had stained glass and a bunch of statues, a beautiful marble lobby, and imported palm trees. So I guess the palm trees that they already have in L.A. wouldn't nice enough. Guess not. So this was a hotel that people from all over the world would want to come see. Unfortunately, that only lasted for a few years. America plunged into the Great Depression a few years after the the Cecil opened its doors, and money was very scarce, as you can imagine, and for most Americans, and there definitely wouldn't much money left around to go spend on luxurious hotels. The Cecil made it past this rough stretch in American history and started doing very well, though, in the 1940s. So as we get to the 50s and beyond, though, the area outside of the Cecil became overran with junkies and runaways and criminals and homeless people. Oh, gosh. At one point in the 1950s, there was as many as 10,000 homeless people living within a four-mile radius of the hotel. Wow. How sad is that? So as you can imagine, this was not a very safe environment, and the hotel had slowly become uh, more of a flop house than an elegant hotel. So most of you have probably heard of the term skid row. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about the the very awesome band from the 1980s. <laughs> this was the original Skid Row. Most people will talk about Skid Row being uh, like if they're someplace of really rough stretch or a lot of poor people, a lot of homeless, they'll call it Skid Row. Mm-hmm. It's just like the thing. But this was the original term Skid Row came from this part of L.A. during the 50s. So did you know that? I did not. But you've heard of Skid Row, right? Of course. But that's where it started. Okay. So as you can imagine... This led to a lot of really suspect-type people staying at the hotel over the years. And this probably has something to do with the extremely high number of deaths that occurred at the Cecil. 17, to be exact. Some of these deaths were murder, some were suicide, and some were undetermined. And we're going to talk about a few of them. There was also a few serial killers 
that spent some time here. Because why wouldn't you? I know. Gosh, can you imagine having that beautiful hotel and then having all that? That's a bummer. This is also a small tie. It depends on who you talk to, to maybe one of Hollywood's most famous mysteries. And that's where we're going to start tonight. Elizabeth Short was seen having a drink at the Cecil a few days before she was found dead on January 15, 1947. The death was a huge story because of how gruesome the crime was. I posted some pictures of this, and I had some that I could have posted that chose not to just because they were that gruesome. Oh, gosh, And no. I didn't want to cross the line. No. So I, I posted what I could, but yeah, I stayed away that. from the really gruesome. Elizabeth was found on a vacant lot in Limert Park in L.A., which is a little neighborhood out there. At the time, this neighborhood wasn't really developed, so it was a little more fields and lots and stuff like that. So what happened was around 10 a.m., Betty Bersinger was walking with her three-year-old daughter, and she came upon what she thought was a mannequin, Mm -hmm. which always makes me think of uh, Dina on Twisted Philly, she's always talking. Remember, she had those buttons that said it's never a mannequin. Because there's oh. been so many times where people find body and they always say, well, I thought it was a mannequin at oh, first. Oh, my gosh. Because I guess you just don't expect yeah. to see. See a body, body laying there. So anyway, she's she's thinking this is a mannequin. But then she gets a little closer and she sees that it's a half-naked woman. I could make a very bad joke here. Because half-naked woman in this fact is more what it says than what you would think. Her body had been cut in half at the waist and completely drained of all the blood. Oh, my gosh. So Beth ran to the neighbor's house, called the police, and police determined that that, uh, Miss Short had been killed about 10 hours earlier. Her body had been washed by the killer. So there was no sign of any of the blood or anything. The corners of her mouth had been sliced all the way to her ears. She had several cuts all over her body and pieces of flesh cut away from her skin. Oh, bless her heart. Oh, my gosh. The lower part of the body was placed about a foot away from the top. So you can just kind of picture this. She's got the upper body laying there, and it's almost like like a magician would do where they've just pulled the other part about a foot. So other than that foot gap, it was laying just like it would have been had it been together. Her intestines were tucked neatly beneath her buttocks. Her body had also been posed. Her elbows were bent, her hand over her head, legs were spread apart. Most of you probably know the story of Elizabeth Short, but probably by her more famous name, the Black Dahlia. Oh, the Black Dahlia. Hey, they're getting ready to have a show on. Did you see that? Yeah, it's on one of the one of the cable and TNT yeah. or some one of the cable networks. Oh my gosh, God bless! This is horrible. Now I'm going to point out that it, it said that she was seen having a drink a few days before at the Cecil, but there that's possibly a rumor. There's nothing that's really confirmed that, but that's kind of the story that that she was seen there. So I don't know that to be fact. Because some people say that she was seen there, and some people said that she wasn't. So, But the, the biggest uh, story is that she was seen at the Cecil a few days before her infamous death, which is has still never been solved. So Elizabeth's story might have a slight connection to the hotel, 
But as we mentioned earlier, there were 17 people who did die in one way, shape, or form on the premises. The first was in 1931. There was a man by the name of W.K. Norton. He was 46 years old, and he checks in under a fake name, a James Willies. A week later, he killed himself by swallowing some poison capsules. Mm. A year later, a maid found a body of Benjamin Dodick. He was 25 years old. He was a former sergeant from the Army. He slashed his own throat with a razor. He left a few notes, one of which said that the suicide was because of his poor health. In 1937, something very disturbing happened. One of these who-the-hell-knows-what's-going-on moment, but Grace Magro fell from a ninth-story window. Now, she got tangled up in the telephone wires, and she died at the hospital, but police never could tell if this was an accident or a suicide. In 1938, a Marine fireman jumped from the roof to the skylight of a building that was right next door. There was a few other people who died by poisoning here, a gentleman by the name of Erwin Neblett in 1939, and a Dorothy Seeger who died in 1940 from poisoning. So apparently that was a common theme at the hotel of people Where they all, Where can they get all these poisoning things at? I guess it was pretty easy to get back then. You I guess so. Almost anywhere. Probably poisoning uh, for rats and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I picture that as a very horrible way to die. Because yeah. a lot of times with these poisons, it's just horrible stomach cramps. And I mean, just, I don't get it. In 1944, one of the more disturbing incidents actually happened here. 19-year-old Dorothy Purcell, she gave birth in uh, her room. And this was to a little boy. But Dorothy claims that she had no clue that she was pregnant. She didn't want to wake up her boyfriend, which was 38-year-old uh, Ben Levine. So she went into the bathroom and had this baby. Now, she said she thought that the baby was dead, so she threw it out the window <gasps> where it landed on the roof of a nearby building. Of course, oh. she was charged with murder, and she went on trial, but three psychiatrists testified that she was mentally confused on that night, and she was found not guilty by reason of insanity. That's bullcrap. Well, you don't really know that. I do know that. How do you not know the baby's not? Why do you think that? How do you not know you're pregnant? How do you go to the bathroom to give birth because you don't want to wake your boyfriend up beside you? How do you, I mean. Well, she could have seen if the baby was breathing. No, I get that. But but you don't know what the state of mind is. This young lady could have been all kinds of issues, bonkers or whatever the deal was. I mean, who knows? If you can make it all this time and not even know you're pregnant and then give birth and not, I mean, wow, that's I don't know. just really sad. I'm not saying that is the case, but no, I could, I I could I see mean, how I mean, I see where you're happen. coming from. It's just a terrible thing. So there's a bunch of other deaths and suicides over the years. We're not going to get into each one of them, but there are a few that, that I do want to touch on. And we're going to start with this one. In October, 1962, Pauline Otten, who was 27 years old at the time, got into an argument with her husband, and she jumped from the ninth floor. Now, what's odd about this is she landed on 65-year-old George Giovanni. (laughs) It killed both of them instantly. (laughs) That's funny? No. (laughs) Talk about bad timing. That is bad timing. So that obviously is weird enough in its own right. Like you said, it's horrible timing. Poor George. There was no witnesses, so police initially thought that the two jumped together. Oh my from god! The 
because there's no reason not to think that. But what they ended up noticing is that George had his hands in his pocket and his shoes were still on. And from the type of shoes that he had on, jumping from the ninth floor, his shoes would have probably fallen off during the, the jump. So they were able to deduce that the fact that he still had his shoes on and his hands were in the pocket, that he had been on the ground already. You know, and I don't know this is dumb, but I think it sounds worse with his hands in his pocket. Because it's just full force. I mean, like he might, if you could even... Like he was going to be able to put his hands up and stop it? Or no, it. no, but it just sounds like even worse for some reason. Oh, can you imagine? No, I cannot. Oh. That's... Yeah, oh, no, I it's just definitely cannot. odd. That is so weird. Then we got June 4th of 1964. Pigeon Goldie Osgood was found dead in her room. She was a retired telephone operator, and she'd been staying there for a while. And she got her name because she liked to feed the pigeons at nearby Pershing Square. She had been raped, stabbed, and beaten. Her room had been ransacked, and near her body was her L.A. Dodgers ball cap and a sack of bird seed. She was always wearing the L.A. Dodgers cap when she was out feeding the birds. Jack Erlinger was arrested hours later while walking through the, the Pershing Square because he was wearing bloodstained clothes. Well, duh. He was later cleared of her murder, and today it still remains unsolved. Wait, why was he cleared? Well, just because he had blood on his clothes doesn't mean it was her blood. Well, did, I guess they didn't have the means to test it back then? Well, I'm sure they did. That was in the 60s. They could have been able to tell if it was, you know, but I have no idea why at oh that point God. in time. These are, stories are heart-wrenching. Well, let's go stay at the, this hotel. No, I don't want to. They're closed right now anyway. They're doing renovations. Oh, good. <laughs> I will take none of that. The last death was in 2015 at the Cecil. That's when a 28-year-old male was found outside the hotel. Some think that he jumped, but the coroner said that the cause of death was has not been determined at that time. So, like, all these things you've been telling us, nobody is accountable. Not in most of them. Oh. I mean, well, there's a bunch of suicides. Well, I mean, I know this, but some of those others, that's just, I mean, I cannot imagine all these years and nobody's had a clue who did it. And obviously there are tons of negative energies inside this hotel from yeah. everything that's going on and all the... Stuff going on around the hotel with all the homeless and drug addicts. and Yeah. You could just imagine. Not to mention all the people that had lost everything financially back yeah. during the Great Depression. All this has to take a toll on the energy level there at the hotel. Now you add in the fact that not one, but two serial killers stayed here. How amazing is that? Who was it? I have no clue. I stopped my research there. I was short on time this week. No, you didn't. Okay. Then we'll talk about... <laughs> <laughs> the first was the infamous Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. You probably don't have a clue who that is. I, do you? you know, I don't. <laughs> I don't have a clue who that is. Richard Ramirez was basically the stuff that nightmares are made of. Oh, good grief. He raped and tortured at least 25 people and killed a minimum of 13 people that we know of. Most of his crimes were committed... At the person's home. Now, let me tell you what made Richard Ramirez, as I like to put it, the stuff that nightmares are made of. Richard Ramirez, as you think of serial killers or people that commit a lot of these heinous crimes, where they, you know, maybe you're at home, you're asleep, they break in, they come in and do this stuff. 
He would break into your home while you weren't there and wait for you to get home. How scary is that? Yeah, that's really very scary. So we talk. He's got his nerve. (laughs) We talked in the past about how a lot of these deranged killers have super troubled childhoods. And Richard definitely was no exception to this rule. But this isn't your typical story of, like, parents beating their child or neglect. You see, Richard was born in February 1960, and most of his bad influence didn't come from his parents or the way he was treated by his parents. It came from his cousin, Mike. See, Mike had just came back from fighting in Vietnam, and he would show Richard pictures of torture that he had inflicted on Vietnamese women and tell him these god-awful, gruesome war stories, and Richard ate it up. Oh, my God. Why would he even do that? Couldn't get enough of it. Well, obviously, Mike was not all there. Mm. Mike also introduced Richard to drugs and alcohol. So the drugs often led to Richard committing all these little uh, petty crimes and stuff like that to to get money, to Mm -hmm. get drugs. So Richard then became a Satan worshiper. And if you really want to know the truth, his parents were there, but Richard was such a rebel that they just weren't a huge part of his life because he didn't allow him to be. Now, some will say they could be better parents and force him to do this and force him to do that, and I'm sure they probably could have been, but they just decided at an early enough age that just he was more than they could handle, and he let it go. The first big crime that he was involved with was the murder of, of his cousin's wife. The cousin that told him all that stuff? Yeah. Sounds like we should be doing a story on Mike <laughs> rather than Richard. But what Richard did at the crime scene, Richard didn't actually participate in the murder, but he also didn't do anything to stop it. So that's what caused his arrest was for not doing anything to stop the... Okay, wait. Mike killed his wife? Mike killed his wife. Richard was there. But Richard didn't participate. Oh, I thought you meant Richard killed his wife. I'm like, oh my God. No, Mike killed his wife. And I probably said that wrong, but... Oh, Wow. So he obviously spent some time in juvenile detention center over this, and he was in there for off and on for a bunch of different mm-hmm. little petty crimes up to about 1982, and that's when he moved to California. So in June of 1984, he committed his first murder. It was a 79-year-old woman. Aww. It was very gruesome. A lot, there was rape. There was oh beating and, and all that. And over the next two years, he would be on a rampage. In 1989, Richard Ramirez was convicted of 13 murders, five attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. He was sentenced to die in the gas chamber in California. His response to all this? Big deal. Death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland. That fool ain't going to Disneyland. (laughs) Richard said that he lived at the Cecil because it had a reputation for being totally unmitigated chaos. He said he stayed in a room up on the top floor, and he would come back from a murder, throw his bloody clothes into the dumpster, and walk up to his room half naked. He said he could easily have done this because there was nothing but overdose junkies laying in the hallways that would be there for days at a time, so how were they going to notice him? Man, oh man. And in case you're wondering, Richard Ramirez died in prison 23 years later. 
from, was, uh, from lymphoma on June 7, 2013. So, yes, he was arrested for all these crimes. And they just let him sit there. And he sat there on the taxpayer's money until he eventually died of cancer. And, you know, once again, it doesn't matter whether you believe in the death penalty or whether you don't believe in it, do believe in it. Yeah. The bottom line is, if you're going to be in a situation where you have the death penalty, I understand, in my personal opinion, I understand why you have all these different appeals. Because you don't want to execute an innocent man. Oh, I, I agree. Woman. I agree. But in this case, where the guy's fully admitting it and it created some heinous crimes, why 23 years later is yeah, still Yeah, that is ridiculous. Prison? That's so ridiculous. So I wonder, my thought is... If Mike, his cousin, hadn't told him about all that, I wonder if he would totally be different. Oh, my guess is probably so. That damn Mike. <laughs> Look what he did. So we, we mentioned that there's a second serial killer. That would be Austrian Jack Unterwegen. And this is a fascinating story. See, Jack killed the first person that he'd ever killed in Austria in 1974. He went to jail over it and supposedly was reformed. So 10 years later, they let him out. He was so fascinating that he actually, he learned to write uh, like creatively, like a journalist would Mm -hmm. while he was in prison. And he wrote an autobiography called Purgatory or Trip to Jail, Report of a Guilty Man. He was being held as like a hero of the jail system because they had totally reformed this man who killed somebody. And he was like, he was everywhere on the news and look what you can do. You can go into prison, even though you created something horrible and turn your life around. Now this guy's an author and he became writing for local media and he was covering like he was on TV all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy was like a celebrity. Yeah. And it's all about the prison system turned this guy around. He was their example. So, at one point in time, and well, let me get into this. He was the, the, the crimes that he was covering for the news in the paper were these horrible sex worker crimes. So, they had all these, these women that were working the streets that were killed, not in a Jack the Ripper sort of way, but, but somewhat in the fact that whoever was killing them was targeting sex workers. Yeah. And so, he was doing all the stories on them. He was covering all this. He decided to go to L.A. to cover a street crime story in L.A. So he goes there. Of course, he stayed at the Cecil. And many think because that he stayed there because of the whole Richard Ramirez connection. Because remember, this is now in the 90s. Mm -hmm. 1991 to be exact. So while he's in town here in L.A., three sex workers in L.A. were attacked and killed in similar fashion to the murders that he spent time for in jail. Oh. For, in 1974, when he committed that murder. So now back in Austria, in Vienna, they're starting to notice things. The police are that, guess what happened when he went to L.A.? The crimes there against sex workers stopped. Oh. And then there was, a, there was a gentleman over there, and I didn't write his name down, but this guy was kind of tipping police off even before that. It's like, uh, you might want to kind of keep an eye on this guy because if you go back and look at the first killing he did and then you look at these killings, there's a lot of similarities. And he just so happens to be covering these crimes. And Dude, I don't he, know. He's got some big kahunas. So it became apparent that many of the stories he was covering were crimes he also committed. 
He was arrested, but then he killed himself in prison shortly after. So several people killed over in Vienna. Plus, there was another town. The uh, Vienna was right there, but then there was another town that, that was uh, like 20, 30 miles away. Mm-hmm. There was similar crimes committed there. So he committed crimes in two different cities there in, in uh, Austria. And then came over here and killed at least three people in L.A. All this while they were looking at, hey, look how great our prison system was. We reformed this guy. Oh, my gosh. So... That is unheard of. Plus, when he killed himself, the I guess he uh, somehow or another, the knots that he tied in his, I guess he hung himself. Mm-hmm. But the knots that he tied were the same type of knots that he tied on <gasps> his victims. So I guess he's <sighs> all the way to the end. He was true to his craft. It's hard to believe that those police didn't catch on to that. Like, no. way sooner. But they didn't, so... Now, to no one's surprise, the Cecil Hotel has tried to change its image over the years, as you could imagine. And they've done so by remodeling. They did that in 2007. They also changed the name to Stay on Main. So it's no longer the Cecil. It's Stay on Main. That was in 2011. Paranormal-wise, I'm sure people are like, okay, let's hear the haunted part. But to be honest with you, there there isn't, um, you know, a, a bunch of details that we can get into. And... The story that, that, that takes place at, here at the Cecil is more the, you know, what the hell aspect. So yeah. we really don't have, you know, there's the, the normal stuff going on. I mean, there's apparitions, people caught on film, footsteps and noises and feeling like being watched. But, you know, that's really not what the story of this place is. The story mm-hmm. is, why is all this weird crap happening yeah. here? Yeah, that poor man that built this must, I don't even know. I mean, how horrible he must have felt. Well, I mean, you got to figure he built that thing in the 20s, and he was probably 30, 40 years old at the time. So, I mean, by the time we got to the 60s, he was probably already gone. Yeah. Wow. I mean, he got to see the decline, no doubt. Yeah. But That's really terrible. So, even though there's no paranormal we're going to talk about, there is a story that some people just put under the, we have no clue, and we'll probably never know what happened category. And if if you know anything about the Cecil Hotel, you will probably notice there is one huge story that we haven't mentioned yet, because none of the other stories compare to this last story. And we'll tell you that story right after this quick break from our sponsor. I want to take a minute or two to thank tonight's show sponsor, Robin Hood. We've told you before about Robin Hood. They're an investment app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs. Options and cryptos, all commission-free. That's different than the other guys. Because a lot of these other brokerages, they'll they'll charge you $10 a trade. Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade your stocks and you keep all the profits. You can't get any better than that. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started. So you can start investing at any level. If you just want to throw, you know, a couple of bucks in and start buying some penny stocks or something like that, you can do that. It's a simple, intuitive design of Robinhood that makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. You can view uh, stock collections such as uh, uh, the 100 most popular stocks. It, it really does make it easy, and you get to kind of learn as you go because they'll teach you with a bunch of little helpful tips. So with Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio. You can discover some new stocks. You can track your favorite companies and get custom notification for price movements so you never miss the right opportunity to invest. Robinhood is going to give all of our listeners a free stock like Apple or Ford or Sprint to kind of help you start your portfolio. 
So sign up at hillbilly.robinhood.com, and I promise you won't be sorry. Of all the 17 deaths that have happened here, none are more mysterious or as well-known as Alyssa Lamb. Alyssa was a 21-year-old student from Canada. She was uh, out of the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. Here's what we know for sure about Alyssa. She traveled to California alone on an Amtrak train and some buses. She went to the San Diego Zoo on January 24, 2013, and we know that because she posted a bunch of pictures on social media. Two days later, on January 26, she checked into the Cecil Hotel. Now, originally, she was in a shared room on the fifth floor, but she was moved to her own private room two days later because her roommates claimed that she exhibited odd behavior. Mm. We know that Alyssa also had been diagnosed with a bipolar and that she had depression issues. She had four medicines that she was taking for these illnesses, okay, prescribed medicines. Her family said that she had no history of suicidal thoughts that they were aware of. Now, in mid-2010, she began her own blog. Over the next two years, she kept it updated with everything from models to just random stuff about her life. She often posted about her struggles with her mental illness. In January of 2012, she said that she had a relapse at the start of school and she had to drop some classes because of it. She said that she felt utterly directionless and lost. She then quit writing in this blog and she switched and started writing a new blog on Tumblr. But it was pretty much the same type of post and stuff like that. It was just in a different place. So Lamb called her parents every day that she was on this trip. And she was due to leave the Cecil on January 31st, 2013 and head to Santa Cruz. When she didn't call her parents that day, they called the L.A. police. So they flew to L.A., the parents did, to try to help whatever they could do to try to find her daughter. They were convinced something was wrong right off the bat. The hotel staff had said that every time they saw her, she was alone. So Katie Orphan, who's the manager of a nearby bookstore, also said that she saw her. She said that she was an outgoing personality and uh, very lively and very friendly, and she was buying gifts for her family to take home. Orphan said that she was even talking about what book to get and if it was too heavy to carry around. Uh So the conversation stood out to her. So police searched the building and uh, even used search search dogs to check the entire, well, I can't say the entire hotel, uh, but they did check the rooftop and and they checked as much as they legally could because you can't just go into everybody's room without a search warrant. So they did look around the lobby and they checked the rooftop and all that stuff. They did check her room, though, Alyssa's room. I was going to say, you yeah, hope they, they would have been Yeah, they that. checked her room, but they didn't find anything. On February 6th, police decided they wanted a little more help, so they distributed flyers and stuff like that around the neighborhood. Another week later, they released the infamous elevator video. You probably haven't seen that, have you? No. You'll see. I'll show it to you after the show. I would bet that most people listening to this have probably seen that elevator video because it was a really big deal. Now, this video was taken from a surveillance camera, and it's the last known sighting of Alyssa Lamb. But it's not just a regular video. The behavior in this video only raised more questions as to what the hell happened. I feel like I kind of remember something about it, but... 
Maybe once you tell me more, I'll know. Well, the, the camera is at the back corner of the elevator, and it, and it shows part of the hallway as well. Uh-huh. And I'm going to post a video, so if you haven't seen it, you'll be able to, to take a look. And, and if you don't see it on our Facebook page or something, just look it up on YouTube. It's pretty easy to find. But she walks in, and it, she appears to hit a bunch of buttons. And then she steps back to the corner of the elevator. The, the doors never close. So she steps up to it again. She kind of leans forward and puts her head out of the elevator, um, just kind of looking, looking around. She looks both directions and then quickly steps back in. She backs all the way to the back of the elevator and then back to the control panel. And the doors still aren't closed. She walks to the doorway again and she stands there and just kind of leans on the side of the elevator door and just looks out. She quickly steps back into the hall and then back into the elevator and then she starts flailing her arms around, and it appears like she's either hiding from someone or talking to someone, and she starts hitting buttons again. Once again, you know, they don't close. But in some of these buttons, she hit more than once. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why this thing's not closing, but this goes on for a little bit. Eventually, the door closes, but no one has a clue what the hell just happened. You know, if you're watching this video, when you get through, you're going to be like, I'm... Didn't see anything. Yeah, you don't see anything. You see her, and you see her uh, making all kinds of, of, you know, flinging her arms around and stuff like that, but you don't really see anything. So the video goes viral. Everybody sees it. And, you know, this girl now has been missing for a couple of weeks, and everybody has seen this video, and they're like, where the hell is this girl at? We know she's missing, and we've seen this, but, I mean, is somebody chasing her? Or, you know, that's the whole thing is, is what happened in this video. It's important to note, though, that several people who've watched the video think that there might have been some tampering with it. And this is because the video is really grainy and you can't really make out the timestamp at the bottom. It's almost kind of blurry or something. So it's almost like, oh, okay, did somebody mess with this or not? And then uh, there's also a minute of the footage missing. So if you do see the time, there's like a minute of it missing. Now, this could be for a whole bunch of different reasons. First of all, there could have been somebody that walked in the picture that they didn't want to police didn't want to release. There could have been something in there that they might have considered evidence that they didn't want people to see. Mm-hmm. So that might have been cut out for that. Doesn't mean it's a conspiracy theory. And then the other thing is Alyssa's mouth in some parts of it looks pixelated. So people think there might have been some tampering. Some people think that she might have been trying to get away from somebody. You know, that would explain her looking around and frantically pushing buttons. Um, there's also people thinking that maybe she was on some type of drugs like ecstasy or LSD or something that would cause hallucinations. Mm-hmm. The most popular notion is that she might not have been taking her bipolar medicine and, and the other uh, medicines for depression she had, and maybe she was having some type, some type of an episode or something like that. So while people are debating the video, the search continues for Alyssa at this time, right? Then guests at the Cecil started having a few complaints. Mainly, there was a lack of water pressure in the showers. And there was another common complaint that some people complained that the water was discolored and had an unusual taste. On February 19th, a search of the four different 1,000-gallon water tanks on top led to the discovery of Alyssa Lamb's body. She was inside <gasps> one of the water tanks. Oh, my God, and people were drinking that water. I'm going to puke. These tanks supplied water to the guest rooms, the kitchen, 
and a coffee shop. Oh my gosh. They obviously drained the tank, but also they had to cut it open because the uh, maintenance panel that was on the side was too small for the equipment to get in there to retrieve Alyssa's body. Her body was slightly decomposed and bloated. It was a greenish color. No evidence of trauma, sexual assault, or suicide was noted. They did a toxicology test, but there wasn't much blood uh, preserved to be able to get an accurate you know, account. But what they did show was some traces of her prescribed medicine, ibuprofen, and Sinutab. There was a very small amount of alcohol, but no recreational drugs. On February 21st, the L.A. coroner listed the death as accidental drowning with the bipolar um, diagnosis factored in heavily. But a few days later, they changed it to undetermined. Well, how can she get in those tanks? That's the next question. I think right here, right here. Question is, how did she get into oh. that tank? <laughs> See, the doors of the, of the stairway that lead to the tanks were locked, and only the staff has the passcodes and the keys. An alarm would have sounded if she would have tried to pry the door open or something like that. Now, it is possible that she could have gotten to the roof through the outside fire escape. When you'll see a picture of this place, they've got the old style, you know, fire escape leading all the way up. She could have gotten there. And then apparently after all this happened and when everybody was debating the video and everything, um, there was a Chinese tourist that actually took some video of going up and being able to get to the roof. But that's that's just how, how did she get up to the roof and how did she get to the tanks? That's not to mention the fact that how did you get in the tank? Yeah, that I mean, how in the world? Because these tanks are four foot by eight foot uh, cylinders, basically, and they're propped up on concrete blocks. And there's no way to get into them without a ladder, which is what the staff had to do just to be able to search the tank. And there was no ladder up there. Then there's also a heavy ass lid that goes on top of it. Yeah. So even if she was to be able to pry it off enough to be able to you know slide it over enough to, be able to get in they said it would have probably been damn near impossible for her to be able to put it back over on her the way that it was and then there's some other strange things that, that happened here as well her body was found naked but her clothes which were the same ones that were in the elevator video were in the tank along with her room key and her watch so she was naked but her clothes were in there so did they somebody throw her in there and then throw her clothes in there did she get in there and in some type of a panic or something take her clothes off i don't know and nobody knows and then they didn't find her phone her phone was never found it wasn't in her room and it wasn't there so police kind of thought that maybe sometime during the course of uh after her death or something somebody probably stole it being the, the area did. of town that it was in well i mean they you would think they would have security cameras back there as well you would think but apparently they don't so her blog this is something people kind of got freaked about her blog continued to be posted after her death but that was probably because she had pre-written these and had them scheduled to be released at certain times yeah that's probably true nobody is really sure at all what happened to elisa lamb even today which has now been basically you know five years later Her family sued the hotel in 2015 for wrongful death, but the case was dismissed after the hotel argued that there was no feasible way anyone could have known that she would go up there and get in those tanks. And since no one's been able to prove how she did it, 
they can't be held liable. Well, I mean, I, I don't see how they're held liable. Yeah, I don't either. I don't either. Wow. So that is a strange occurrence Man, that of this lamp. And that wraps up our story on the Cecil Hotel. There's like a bunch of shady crap going on there. <laughs> hmm. Like I said, it's closed down right now, mm-hmm. uh, at least to the best of my knowledge, while they're doing some more renovations and stuff like that. When you see the place, if you haven't seen pictures, in your head you're probably picturing this dump, like you see on TV shows, where it's actually a beautiful place. And but, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm sure they're you know going all out to try to make it a a nice place, but it's going to take a lot to get over that reputation. Just changing oh, the course. name and doing a few renovations, you know. Yeah, and how are they going to keep, like, the drug addicts and people out? I don't know what the neighborhood's like around there now. I mean, it could think be I it still, might have it, changed? I don't know. It could have. Maybe maybe I would think that over a period of time that some of that stuff's right now, but maybe not. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. So if you guys live in L.A., I know I need to check with Tammy, mm-hmm. who does Hollywood Paranormal. She, she can tell me. But if, if you guys live in, in the L.A. area and know the neighborhood... Maybe you can write us something telling us how good or how bad. Yeah, that would be the nice neighborhood to know. Is these, these days. Mm. All right. Guys, it was an awesome week for us. We had tons of iTunes reviews and tons of new patrons, and you guys are phenomenal as usual. You guys so big, are. Thank you. You amaze us every single week. I mean, seriously. We love y'all. Yep. So I'm going to start off with the Patreons, and I'll let Tracy do the... Uh, does that one say PMS twelve? Is that what that it says? does? Okay. Anyways, <laughs> caught my attention, but I'll let I'll let Tracy do the iTunes reviews. So first of all, patrons, new patrons this week: Karen Burles, Donna Smith, Kara and Richard, Heather, Jim Carter, Carrie M, Maria Plover, could be Plover, but I think it's Plover, Maria Payne, Michelle Mabel. And Jennifer, Jennifer, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. I've seen your name, and you've commented on a thousand things, but I don't know if it's Swider. That's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Swider. Jennifer Swider, thank you guys. Thank so you much guys. That's amazing. For all that you do. Thank you for your support. We had a lot of iTunes reviews today, or this week, I should say. Um, PMS12, <laughs> Travis V13. No bat fleck, and I'll just say I don't know what this means. H D J F Y S V A. Erigris. <laughs> I'm so sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, honey. Flora Joe ninety five. Kitty one four two six. H D B D H H. A lot of HDs in there today. Yeah. Coffee Lover 25, MK Roll, Dalen's Devices, 122468Me, Ryan of Mon Valley, and Old Honky. No, oh, there you go. Thank you guys for your reviews. They were all very nice, and uh, just keep them coming. Like we've said a thousand times, that's what we enjoy the, the most is seeing those reviews. And we just appreciate you all so much and can't thank you enough for being most of you guys have joined in on the group, which yep. is amazing. And uh, just keep on coming. The more the merrier. We'd love to have you. Wanted to touch on a, a couple of things real quick. Um, Kevin's, you heard his little promo at the beginning. Mm-hmm. He's uh, out of Liverpool. Got to love that because I'm. Um, Big Beatles fan, so anytime I get something out of Liverpool, I just kind of giggle like a little child. I know, you do. But 
his podcast is I listened to it the other day for the first time, and I'm like, hey, I want to try to give this guy a little bit of pub because he's he's funny, mm-hmm. and he does the show by himself, which I have no talent to be able to do. I struggle every time I have to do a little short by myself. Uh-huh. But he does a fantastic uh, job with that. But the show is We Need to Talk About Ghosts. <laughs> I love and, it. And it's, uh, But, yeah, and it's funny because I guess I didn't realize this when I was listening to his accent. I said something about it. Is that a... a more of a Scottish accent, mm-hmm. and he says, "No, that's a Liverpool accent." But that's, oh wow, you know, it's like a combination of a couple of different things. Good, but, that's yeah, so kinda, cool. Kind of sounded Scottish to me, but mm-hmm. so obviously I don't know my British accents. Oh yeah, give him a listen, guys. But unlike uh, uh, Lee and Andy from Realm of the Supernatural, I can actually understand what Kevin's saying. So, <laughs> I <don't, laughs> we, we love you guys. So we're yeah, just we do love you. y'all. All right, so I wanted, there's a little bit of housekeeping, and then we're going to play the first two episodes of Hibbley Horror House. Are you excited? I'm so excited. I know everybody involved in this is a lot of so fun. proud of what they've done. And, um, you know, I've said before, I, I said it on the reveal the other day, audio dramas are not my thing typically, but I think this fits really well into what we we do here would be in a completely different thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, you might like this and not like our regular show. Yep, true story. So, can't fault you there, but Tim and uh, uh, Natasha did a fantastic job with this, and man, it's just going to get so much better as it goes. It, it definitely does, because I've already heard the f- whole first season, and it does get better as it goes, and I'm talking about from a technical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story-wise is, is really good. It was uh, really well done, so hope you guys enjoy that. A few housekeeping things. Live shows. We are down to about 35 tickets left for the Houston live show, which is our second one since the first one sold out. Um, Which is amazing. Yeah, amazing. Thank you guys so much. So we now have two shows in the same day, and now we've sold somewhere in the neighborhood of like 170 tickets mm-hmm. for those two shows for one day. Incredible. I know it. That's, uh, by the way, the Confessionals, Sasquatch Chronicles, Us, and Twisted Philly, and that's May 11th, I believe is the date on that. But you can check out all of our shows, and all the tickets are available at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. We are 15 tickets away from selling Bobby Mackey out. We are 20 tickets away from Louisville being sold out. And then we got shows in Indianapolis and um, West Virginia and all over the place. So go check out the shows there. I won't bug you with it. And don't forget the Atchison, Kansas. You got a chance to win a trip out there. And uh, not a trip because we're not paying for your airfare and stuff. You got two <laughs> tickets to the show and you can possibly win a uh, you and a friend spend a night with us and Justin Rimmel. At the Sally House. How damn cool is that? Um, it's real cool because we needed some extra peeps up in there because my butt is scared. <laughs> I'm just letting y'all know. But I'm so scared. The, yep, the contest is up for that. Uh, or not up, but we're doing that all the way through March 16th. So, yeah, That's March when 16th. we're drawing the winner mm-hmm. for that. But, yeah, go change. Go to our group, our, our uh, fan page, and the cover photo on Facebook. Make that your cover photo. Send us a message. Let us know you did it. And there you go. That's all it takes to be entered to win. Right now we've got, uh, I don't know how many Justin's got, but I know we've got about 22 so far that's done it. So your chances to win will be excellent. Yeah. So go ahead and and do that. Yeah. Are we ready for Hillbilly Horror House? Oh, my gosh. All right. Let's do it. Hi, and welcome to Hillbilly Horror House. We have put a lot of work into making this podcast a sound fest for your ears. In order to get the full effect, we highly recommend the use of headphones. 
Hillbilly Horror House, Chapter 1, The Hunt, 1 of 3. Good morning, sunshine. Mm, whatever. Oh, another restless night. Yeah, I dreamt about that same house again. What is it with that house? You watch way too many haunted house movies. Maybe the house is calling on you. Come to me, Amber. Ooh. <laughs> you better hope not. The asshole is the first one to die. <laughs> yeah, they do. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go make us some coffee. We have some more houses to look at today. I can't wait till we find our new home. I never knew it would take so long. Yeah, well, you know, it wouldn't take so long if you disagree with the ones that I like. Well, if you had it your way, the house would be one large man cave with a never-ending bar. Hey, like I said. No. Now get a shower and meet me downstairs. What? David? Day? David? We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Writing, production, and editing done by Tim Mullins. Amber is played by Natasha Alley. David is played by Tim Mullins. The Ghost Lady is played by Rebecca Mullins. Narrating by me, Dana Gleason. And a very special thanks goes out to Jerry and Tracy Pauley for allowing us to broadcast this podcast for your entertainment. So there's episode one in the books, and because that one was short, uh, we're going to play episode two. And then uh, every week from this point on, we'll have uh, episode three and four and five at the end of the show. And the episodes get longer as they go. But they're all fairly short. But I know we've already worked. Second season is uh, being worked on as we speak. A lot of special guests. 
uh, podcasters that you guys know are going to be a part of it. And uh, Tracy's in some upcoming episodes. <laughs> so. It was fun. So, uh, like I said, it gets a little bit better sound effects wise and stuff like that. It was a learning curve, and it, but it gets better as it goes. Let's give uh, the second episode a listen, and then uh, we're going to call it a night. Hi, and welcome to Hillbilly Horror House. We have put a lot of work into making this podcast a sound fest for your ears. In order to get the full effect, we highly recommend the use of headphones. Hillbilly Horror House. The Hunt. Two of three. (laughs) I'm going to go make us some coffee. We have some more houses to look at today. I can't wait till we find our new home. I never knew it would take so long. Yeah, well, you know, it wouldn't take so long if you disagree with the ones that I like. Well, if you had it your way, the house would be one large man cave with a never-ending bar. Hey, like I said. No. Now get a shower and meet me downstairs. What? David? Day? David? David! Amber. Amber, what's wrong? Uh, are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm fine. Are you sure? You look like you've seen a ghost. More like heard. What? No, nothing, Dave. Sorry, really, it's nothing. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. Okay, then, you little freak. I'll go make my coffee, wench. <laughs> As you command, sir. Amber. Yeah? I love you. Of course you do. You're under my spell. Freak. (laughs) Welcome to episode 85 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. My name is Jerry and I'm joined by my wife Tracy. Now that we have dogs barking all over the neighborhood, um, we've got a cool show for you. I'm excited about this one, as I am every show. You are. You're always excited. You know, some of these shows, the topics don't really get my blood pumping until I start getting into the research. And then the more research I do, the more excited I get about it. So, that's just the way it is. I'm glad for your blood pumping. And this story tonight, you guys weighed in on, at least the ones in the group. So if you're not part of our group, hopefully you hear stories on Facebook. You can join up. 
Yeah. So, are you ready to turn down some more houses today? Who knows? Maybe we'll find the right one today. How many do we have on for today? Oh, three, I think, but we really need to hurry. We need to meet the villager in about an hour at the first house. <laughs> Stranger, are you sure you're okay? Yeah, I'm I'm fine. Why? We were talking, you just zoned out. Oh, yeah, sorry, Dave. I I just haven't been sleeping very well the last few weeks. You know, we can delay this if you really need to get some rest. No, I'm fine. I'm excited to go look at houses. I want to do this. All right, then. I'll, uh, I'll make an appointment with the doctor if you need to, okay? Topics on there. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just tired. Then at least talk to April about whatever's going on with you. No, I don't, I don't want to bother her. She's your best friend. When was the last time y'all actually talked? You're right. I'll give her a call. Maybe we can have a girl's day out or something. <laughs> More like freak's day out. Now finish your coffee, mister, so we can leave. <sighs> Let's go find our new home. So, yeah, this was, this one's going to be pretty cool. Uh... that you enjoyed this episode writing production and editing done by tim mullins amber is played by natasha ali david is played by tim mullins the ghost lady is played by rebecca mullins narrating by me dana gleason All right, there's the second episode out. Hope you guys like it. Join in next week to hear the continuance of the uh, third uh, and final part of Chapter 1. And then uh, Chapter 2 starts after that. So thank you guys so much for everything you do. If you like the show, please tell your friends. The best thing you can do is is spread word of mouth about Heavily Horror Stories. Yeah, we appreciate y'all, and I hope y'all have a blessed week. Everyone involved with Hillbilly Horror House is looking for some feedback so 
positive or negative, tell us what you thought of the show. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Where can we make improvements of that? These things are very important in helping us progress and to helping Tim and Natasha and move the show along. So uh, don't be hesitant to give your true opinions. It's much appreciated. This is Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances and Rev 9-6. This is Jerry. And Tracy. From, from Hillbilly, Hillbilly Horror, Horror Stories. Do we, we have, have a special, special treat for you? By now, you know that we are doing a live episode in Atchison, Kansas on August 10th. Atchison is home to the infamous Sally House. Atchison is one of the most haunted towns in America. So with the help of Maria Miller, we have an entire weekend in store for you. This is Maria Miller, Tourism Director for Atchison, Kansas. We're excited to welcome all of your listeners to the most haunted town in Kansas and one of the most haunted towns in the country, Atchison, where history repeats itself every single day in the most unusual of ways. You better get your tickets now because we have lots of exciting events planned for you. Besides our live show at Paolucci Restaurant, which is one of the most haunted restaurants in America, there will be haunted trolley rides, cemetery tours, tours of the Sally House, and even an investigation of the Sally House, if you're not too scared. Wow, it doesn't get any better than that. Oh, but it does. Our shows are giving away an amazing prize pack for this show. Two tickets to the live show, a shirt from each one of our shows, and a biggie. The winner and a friend will spend the night in the Sally House Friday, August 9th, with Tracy, Justin, and myself. Everyone can enter to win. Go to our Facebook pages. We have posted a Facebook cover photo. Just make this cover photo your cover photo and send us a message letting us know that you did it. Leave it up for two weeks, and on March 16th, we're going to choose our winner by computer random number selector. Make sure you message us and let us know, because otherwise we won't know you did it. You can get your tickets for all of the Atchison events at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. See See you in Kansas. Kansas.